We are entering into this series in the spring. I, uh, if you haven't figured out already, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a series and walk through uh, some selected psalms. If I were to do the psalms, there are 150 of them, and we'd be here for many years. Um, and uh, some of them are lengthy. So, no, we're going to do a selection through the spring that will help us take us up to, uh, to the edge of summer. We're going to walk through some selected psalms of various uh, kinds. There are different uh, kinds of psalms and different things that they are articulate for us, but uh, we're going to start in Psalm 1. That's where we are this morning. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 6, the whole thing. Uh, If you will read with me, hear then God's Word. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, uh, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as Your people. We have opened Your book to listen to Your Word, to learn from You, to hear Your voice speak into our lives with truth and power. So, as we spend these few minutes thinking together Your thoughts, what Your Word says, would You speak it afresh into our lives, into our hearts and our minds, that we might delight in Your law and truly think about it day and night. We ask, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 1 is one of my favorite psalms. I've preached it a number of times before. I don't know that there is a version online, but through the years, you come back to this psalm. It's a Beautiful and powerful psalm, but you can't do a series on the psalm in which I do believe the first two psalms stand as a gateway into the rest and not not touch it. So, taking a little bit of a different track this morning with it, um, but I'll read you this. Alexander McLaren, it's in your bulletin under the first point. Uh, Alexander McLaren says that if the rest of Scripture might be called the speech of the Spirit of God to men, the book of the Psalms, this book, is the answer of the Spirit of God in men. Right? In other words, the Psalms were, are where the Holy Spirit prays or inspires God's people to pray uh, and prays for us. The Psalms are a Holy Spirit-inspired expression of the various struggles and trials that we have, the joys of our souls. I think it was uh, John Calvin who said that the Psalms are an anatomy of the soul. Because as you read through them, you will find expressed in the Psalms every expression of the human heart. Our, Our doubts and our praises, our joys and our sorrows, when we feel betrayed, when we feel depressed, when we want to worship, it's all there. It's all expressed in in divinely inspired language. Here the Holy Spirit in a sense speaks for us. Articulates our souls for us. Teaches us so to speak, to pray. Leads us in worship. 
And so Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, if you read about the Psalms, and even if you read the Psalms, you'll see that these two Psalms stand like uh, pillars of, a, of an entryway into something, you know, one of those great gates with a, you know, a little statue on each one, and would hold you know, these pillars that would lead into somewhere. Psalm 1 and 2, Psalm 1 is a Psalm about God's Torah, about God's law. And its place in the life of those who know Him and love Him. And Psalm 2 is a psalm that introduces God's Messiah King. Right? And so, it, the, the, uh, in a sense, the Gospel. When the Messiah King, it's where in the Psalms, Jesus is introduced. And so at the gateways into the Psalms stand the Law and the Gospel. Right? The, the Torah and the Messiah King. As we enter into and want to read and understand the rest of the Psalms, we need to do it through this gateway. Next week we'll look at Psalm 2. Be introduced to the Messiah King in, uh, as He is expressed and worshipped and honored in the Psalms. But today we're going to look at one. We're going to look at the law. And the law, when we talk about that, when it says blessed is the man who delights himself in the law, the law is more than sometimes we think of God's law, we think of the Ten Commandments. Or a list of rules that there are, um, you know, these commands that make up His law. And, and it certainly includes those. God's law includes the Ten Commandments. But for most Jews, for, for uh, at least the first period of time, the law was the first five books of the Bible. The Torah. Because that's all they had for a while. And there's a sense in which the Ten Commandments were enshrined in those first five books. But as the Scripture is written, as time goes on, God's people come to understand all of the Scripture as God's law. His Word is His law. And so His law comes to include these very Psalms where it talks about the law and delighting in the law. At some point, at our point in redemptive history, having all of that together is part of God's law. His law is more than rules. It's more than commands. It is a revelation of who God is and the way the world as God intends it to be. The way life should be. It's a revelation of God's character and His will. Which comes across in His commands for sure. When He says don't do something, they're not random. They're expression of His character. Of His will. And when He says to, to do something, it's because it expresses His character and His will. The way He has made the world. The moral fabric of things. And so, the law is His Word. His Scripture which reveals to us who He is, the way life should be, His purposes and His plans for the world. And it's this that He says that the blessed man delights in. It should interest us that this psalm that is about the law, that opens up with this delighting in His law, is a psalm about Happiness. It's about finding happiness in life. And it should interest us that this psalm about the law begins with the word blessed. Right? When you hear the word blessed, usually you think if you were to say, okay, what does that remind you of? Almost everybody will think of you know, the Beatitudes. And Jesus gives us ten of them. Blessed is the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So you, we think of these, these blessings that Jesus pronounces. The word blessed means... Happy. It means satisfied, happy, joyful. So, blessed is the man. Is the, this is the happy man. This is the person who has found happiness in life. And so, in this book about the law, is the way to true happiness. 
It opens with a beatitude. Blessed, happy, satisfied is the person who does not walk in the counsel, but who delights himself in the Lord. Here we have the Psalter opening, telling us that our God wants us to be happy. A lot of people don't realize that they read the Bible or they hear or stand around religion and you stand outside religion, the, the, the commands of God, the law of God can be presented or talked about or, or put upon us in such a way that religion is burdensome. Right? That religion is, it, it steals your fun. It robs us of joy because you've got to do this and this and this, this list. And the way the Bible presents it is exactly the opposite. It presents a God whose desire is for His people to be blessed that is to be a happy people, to find happiness in life. It just so happens that according to God's perspective, that a person is happy and finds the happiness that He intends in life by being rooted in His Word and His law and doing life the way He intended it. And that actually we find and experience joy greater, deeper, richer than anything the world has to offer. But our God is a God of love and love is defined or should be understood as desiring the welfare and the happiness of someone else. If you love your spouse, you desire their welfare. You desire their happiness. And so you, you posture yourself and do the kind of things that bless them. right? Make them happy. That's love. It's postured toward another. It's all about what we can give to another. And so God who loves us wants His people to be happy. And He's given us here His prescription. For happiness. The world will tell you this is how you find happiness. To pursue these things. Live this way. Indulge yourself. Do what you want. And God says if you, this is an empty path. Uh, there are the richest people in the world or some of the most depressed people in the world. You know that you can have it all and you can pursue these things and you can bear yourself. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. book about a man who's been there and done that. And says it's all vanity and it leads nowhere. God's prescription for happiness is a life. Where is it to be found? He says this blessedness, this happiness is rooted in His law. That is, it's rooted in a life with Him. It's rooted in a life that's in sync with God. To walk with Him in His ways. In the ways that please Him. Happy is the person who delights himself Verse 2, in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He thinks all the time. The law is His reflection. It's what He thinks about. Because it's a reflection of God's character and He wants to know God. Because it's a reflection about how the way the world is supposed to be. The way that God has intended it. And so, it speaks into our lives to help us to know the God who made us in His own image. And to walk in His ways, which He says is the way, not only of holiness, but of happiness. The beautiful picture of life the way it's supposed to be. This is why in Romans 7, still under your first point there, Paul could say, the law is holy. The commandment is holy. It's righteous. It's good. It is God's gift to His people. Not to burden us, but to guide us. To show us who He is, and who we are supposed to be. As He moves into Psalm 119, also there in your bulletin, let me say this before we move on. 
Psalm 119, which is a parallel psalm, and he speaks similar things. It's there in your bulletin. He says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. This blessing and happiness is for those who walk in the law of the Lord. They are blessed if they keep His testimonies. If you seek Him with all of your heart, who do no wrong, but who walk in His ways, who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, but who walk in the ways of God's Word and God's law. But God doesn't mince words. Does he? As he talks about this blessed person, as he says, I want you to be happy, and here's where happiness is to be found. Our God is not t- particularly politically correct. If you read the scripture, God just says it as it is, as often as not. He does it here just as he does elsewhere. He doesn't mince words. And he contrasts the blessed or the happy person with the wicked person. Ever since the beginning, right? He says, Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. In verse 8, therefore the wicked will not stand. They will not stand in the congregation. The way of the wicked will perish. Ever since the beginning, right? Since from the very beginning of Genesis and the beginning of time in human history, there have been, according to the Scripture, the human race has been divided up into two groups of people. The righteous and the wicked. According to God's Word. The blessed person is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And, and this righteous person, this blessed person, is contrasted with the wicked person in verses 4 and 5 and 6. The righteous and the wicked. And the righteous person is the happy person, is the blessed person. And this contrast is painted. Now I know that these words are a little bit alien to us. I don't know how often in your daytime you articulate you know, the stuff that you encounter uh, or when you're describing and putting people into categories, whether you put them into categories of righteous and wicked. Right? They almost sound, I mean, and for some of us you would say, I would never do it. I mean, it sounds a little, I don't know, pride, proud on one side, you know, a little bit judgmental on the other side to put people in such categories. Righteous. Who are the righteous? You think you're righteous? That's, you know, we're worried about being self-righteous. And about calling or putting people in the wicked. But here's the thing. It's something that God does. And and the Bible presents it in very simple categories. So we don't have to do it. But it's very simple categories for God of who these people are as He talks about them. The righteous are those who love and follow Him. And who show it, right? Who show that they love and follow Him by seeking to live according to His law. They delight themselves in His law, in His Word. So that's very simple terms. The righteous, those who know and love God and seek to walk with Him according to His Word and His law. The wicked are those who rebel against God and His law. And refuse to do life God's way. Who refuse, they rebel against the standards that He's established in His Word and in His law. And for Him it's that simple. Um, as you read this psalm, you know, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, which are going to be those who rebel against God's law. You be the opposite of wicked, which is to delight in His law. To love it. And to seek to live according to it. Don't walk in the counsel of those who reject God and His Word. Right? These are always the two voices. I said it's been this way since the beginning. I mean, it's defined here, but you can go back to Genesis and you can talk about it in our culture and our time right now. There's always these two voices. The ones who say we love and follow God and we're going to do life His way according to His Word and His law. And there are those who, 
whether they say they love God or not, rebel against His law and refuse to do life His way. And these are the two voices that have ever been. If you remember in Genesis, God gives Adam and Eve a law, a word, tells them what to do. And in, and in chapter 3, we get the whole story of the fall of the human race. And the fall of the human race is right here, right on this issue. right? Because God said, do this. And the first words out of Satan's mouth, literally in the Scripture, the first thing we ever know that Satan ever said was, did God actually say that you shall not? Right? These two voices, God said this, and then there's this voice over here. Is that really wrong? No, we took a poll. <laughs> you know, nine out of ten Americans say it's not wrong, right? Or you know, now no, the, the Supreme Court passed a law. You know, did God really say that we shouldn't murder our children? No, no, Congress has passed a law. It's okay. You know, we have a list of things every, ever since the first. These are the two voices. God has said. God speaks. And those who know Him and love Him and follow Him and seek to live according to His Word and His ways. And there are those who rebel. And He says, and it's that simple, these categories. In His mind, this choice remains before us. And we see a progression in the text, don't you? The one who walks in the counsel of the wicked, listens to that voice, will end up standing in the way of sinners. Right? Following their ways. Living life that way. Right? A way that is sinful, that is not according to God's Word and His ways. So if you listen to their counsel, you will begin standing in their place. And not only that, but you see it in our culture and everywhere around, you will finally end up sitting in the seat of the scoffer. Right? He doesn't stand in the way of sinners and he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. When God's law and God's way are put forward, we've been trying to do it over the last decade on a number of different issues, speaking what we believe to be God's Word and truth into a culture that is struggling for a moral compass and making decisions about really important things. And when we speak what God has said into that context, into that discussion, we are ridiculed. You're old-fashioned. You're narrow-minded. You're intolerant. You've got some kind of phobia. You're just mean. Right? All the things that the culture, they, they sit in the seat of scoffers, they scoff at, at the things that God says. At the at way God says, I've made it this way. The world scoffs at God's view of marriage and sexuality. They laugh at religion. They joke about God and His law. So here's the thing then. If this is true, and, and, if, and if the righteous and the wicked are divided just as simply, it's not that we are better than other people, simply that we have come to know and to love God and have made it the business of our lives to seek to pattern our lives after His Word, to walk with Him in His ways. And the wicked are simply those who live a life that is in rebellion against that law and choose to do life their own way and make up their own rules and decide the meaning and purpose of life in their own fashion. If this is true, then it is not just these, you know, the really bad people that you see in just busted who are the wicked. Right? We like to think of it that way, like and make it really obvious, you know, and the and the wicked, I mean, surely they're in just busted. Um, you know, and, and it's become public, or surely, you know, they populate our our jails. But here's the thing, according to the to, to the scripture, that that the wicked are your neighbors and your co-workers and some of your friends. 
right? That they're, in a sense, all around us because the world is divided into these camps. Those who have decided to know and to love God and to walk in His ways and those who have decided not to. And they're all around us, those who have decided not to. And they reject what His Word says. They do not delight in His law. They refuse to do life God's way and we're going to do it on their own terms. God is not a part of their lives. He's not a part of their thought process. When they're trying to decide what is right or wrong or whether they agree with this, they don't go to His Word to see what is true. They simply do it on their own terms. Decide what they think or what the popular poll has been or the current flow or wind in our culture. God's not a part of their thinking or their decision making or their moral compass. They don't follow Him and obey His Word. And so it gives us this picture of their counsel of standing in their way or sitting in, ultimately in the seat of scoffing. And, and then it gives us this picture of the wicked that are like, he says down in verse 4, in this direction, the wicked are not so, like verse 3, we'll come back to 3, the wicked are not so, they're like chaff on the wind that is driven away. Or verse 8, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. The way of the wicked will perish. See, chaff is the weightless stuff that's left when you're winnowing your crop. You know, when you're sifting your crop, you want all the grain which has weight and substance and solidity to fall down and you want to collect the grain. The chaff is when you winnow it is the stuff that doesn't have weight, but it's just the the husks, it just uh, has no weight, it has no substance, and the wind blows it away so that you can separate the wheat from the chaff. And you can have the wheat which is of substance and true life, the stuff of life, and the chaff is blown away. It has no roots, it has no stability, and the wind drives it. This is why Paul in Ephesians 4 could write and warn us not to be like children who are tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. This is the culture. You know, it was wrong, now it's right. Well, maybe it'll be wrong again, maybe it'll be right again. You know, there's this whole sense of, well, what is everybody saying now? Well, everybody's doing it. And this is, this is the way they're tossed to and fro by the wind. They're driven, you know, from here to there. There's no root, there's no rock, there's no stability. Human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. You hear the arguments, you have them every day with people around us. Isaiah 57 says, also there in your bulletin under that point, the wicked are like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. The waters toss up mire. They're wind-tossed. And so because they're constantly churning and wind-tossed, they toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. They will not stand in the judgment. They're excluded from the community of God's people. Because by definition, God's people are those who follow Him. Right? We talk of followers of Christ. To be, to be a follower of Christ has really one main thing in the middle of it, and that is to follow Him. And if we're not going to follow Him, then by definition, we're not His followers. That is to follow His Word and His ways. And the first is the call to repent and to believe in Him. This is the work of God. That they would believe in Me, God's only Son, whom He has sent. The righteous, though, he says, what will turn people from chaff into trees? Which is really the options given in this text again. Two kinds of people. There's chaff and there's trees. What turns people from chaff into trees? What makes a person truly happy, truly blessed? 
Well, it's quite clear and quite simple. Verse 2, His delight, He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He meditates day and night. He loves God's Word. He's in it. He listens to it on a Sunday morning. He reads it on a Monday morning. He thinks about what he has heard. He seeks to apply it in his life. He seeks to see his life conform to it. To love his Word isn't to just hear it. To go to church and then go home and live the way we want to. Right? To, to love His Word is to want to see our lives conform to it. So what we read here, we want our lives to take that shape and to look like that. I want to be that guy. Not that guy <laughs> in the counsel of the wicked. And so there's this thing of, of loving His words is to be conformed to it, to try to live it, to follow it. God gives us this powerful, beautiful picture. And it's one of the reasons I think I love this psalm is verse 3. Um, right there in the middle. That picture of the tree, it's the very picture of health, isn't it? I love that picture. I think I've said the last time I preached on this, when you drive down um, uh, Middle Valley Road, you pass the high school, and you look down on the left, there's this big open field that goes back. And right in the middle of the field toward the back standing alone is this tree. And it's always green. And it's beautiful. I mean, I just love that picture of that tree. It's a picture of just... There is this, this beauty in this picture, this power in this picture. It's meant to capture our imaginations. It's a picture of life. It's a picture of health. It's a picture of vitality and strength. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. It's yielding its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. It is always healthy and green. And all that it does, He prospers. Even when the world is in a drought. Faithful, fruitful, productive. Right? Its roots are set down. You know, a lot of it is in the placement where this tree is. Right? It's planted in the perfect spot. It's planted next to a stream. When it's not raining, there's still water. There's still life to be had. Right? The picture of a man who has the Word of God and wherever the world is going, in whatever you know, crisis is happening, whether it's a stock market or a terror attack in the world, there are a lot of uncertain things out there. There's this picture that he says, you can be like a tree planted by a stream of water, when all else is chaos and drought afflicts the world, you have sustenance. You have life. You have something to give you direction and purpose and meaning and joy and hope. We draw near to God as we draw near to Him in His Word. It's not the blessedness of a charmed and painless life. We live in this world. That's never promised. But it's the blessing of knowing God walking with Him in this life and the hope of a life with Him forever. Because we sought to know Him and walk in His ways now. He says, there is a life eternal that you can share. And so this picture, if you were, Jesus says, um, this is under your third point in your bulletin, you know, Jesus says that uh, I came to give you life and life abundant. If you had to think of a picture, what would I, how, what would I use to picture what Jesus is promising there? If you don't think of this tree you know, then we're, we're not steeped enough in the Bible. Your first thought when He says, I'm going to give you life abundant, you think of this tree that planted and root, His roots go deep next to this stream and that its leaf is always growing. It's never, it's always green. It's always bearing fruit. Everything it does, it prospers. This lively, healthy, strong tree. It says this is the blessing and the fruit of those who 
love His Word, verse 2, delight in the law and meditate on it. Now, I'm going to move on and apply some of this and close this out, but I just finished a four-week series on that very thing. So, in, on our website, there's all the sermons are on there in video form. And there, the last series is called, Not by Bread Alone. Man shall live by the Word of God. And not by bread alone. There are four sermons there that, that unpack this. One of them on Joshua chapter 1 uh, is all about exactly this. I would refer you there and encourage you to go and spend some time looking at that. But this picture of the tree, this, this image of one way, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, that God knows the righteous. And one of the most beautiful and powerful things here is not that we know God's way or that we know Him, but it says that those who posture themselves toward Him to know Him and love Him and follow Him, it says in the end, doesn't it, the wicked are not so, they're like chaff. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Right? The greatest thing in all of it is that the Lord knows us to be His own. He knows us. right? He embraces us as His own. There's a relationship that is pictured here that is uh, desirable. So let me just quickly touch on a couple of few things to take from it as we move on to communion. There's a few things. One is simply as we started. You need to know as you read the Psalms, as you read the Scripture, the message is this. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be blessed. He has created you to experience joy and pleasure in a way that is hard to even express. And God loves His people and He's made a way for that happiness to be experienced by us. But the second thing is that He says that this blessedness, this happiness, is rooted in His law. This is incredibly important. True happiness, you cannot seek it directly. You have to seek it indirectly. Right? Because those who decide to find happiness tend to abandon God's law in the pursuit. But God says that when we love Him and pursue Him and, and follow His law, He says what you find, a byproduct, is happiness. And how many people take that truth that I started with, God wants you to be happy. And, I, and there's a sense in which you know, we can debate that. But I think there's also a very strong biblical case to say God wants us to be happy, but people take that to be their guiding principle. God wants me to be happy. And so they begin to pursue happiness instead of the God who gives it. And so in the pursuing happiness, they jettison the law. And they start doing whatever they need to do to what they pursue what they think will make them happy. And God says it is the wrong way that you, have, you are following the counsel of the wicked. The happiness, He says, the way of holiness, the way of His Word and His law is the way of happiness. And as you pursue God and you pursue that life, happiness, joy in a relationship with Him is the byproduct that we draw life from. I would say also then as closing that when you hear this word, one of the most important things about God's people and what sets them apart from others is when we read God's Word, there's a posture when we say we delight in His law that says when I read it, when I hear it preached, when I open it up and I read it in my own quiet time, when I'm studying it in a small group with people, and God's Word says something that my life is out of sync with, that my posture is immediately, I'm the one out of sync. And, and my goal, my purpose is going to be to what the Bible calls repent 
and to seek to bring my life in line with what God's Word says. There's a posture there. However hard that is, whatever cost it may have, I'm living with my girlfriend and I find out God's Word seems to say that sex outside of and before of marriage is wrong and I know we've been sharing rent and I've actually been in this situation where a couple who have been living together out of wedlock and discover and come to conviction that God does not approve of that and to walk in His ways. They wanted to repent. They said, but it was going to be costly because they're going to have to rent two apartments. They're going to have to go into two living situations. In other words, they're going to do, but they were willing to do whatever it cost to get in line with and to walk in His ways. And I think, you know, that's just one illustration. There are a hundred ways that as you read the Scripture every day, that you delighted in in such a way that when you hear it calling you out, convicting you, showing you where you're wrong, that you will repent and believe the Word of God and follow it. My friends, I know that we don't live up to God's law. Even as I say all this, and I say that we go in this direction, I wanted to say from the beginning, it's not about doing the law perfectly and getting it all right. Because all of us who posture ourselves to follow God and do His law and strive in that way, one of the first things you will discover is how difficult and impossible that is. You will want to do what is right. You know, Paul says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do and what's wrong with me? And I don't know, but a lot of us live in that place. We know that as we strive to do what is right, evil is right there with me and we struggle. And the Scripture understands that. Which is why as we go next week to the second pillar and get introduced to the Messiah King who saves us from the curse of the law who saves us from our inability to do all that God calls us to do. And it's not about getting it all right. It's about pressing. I love there's one book that says, you know, a long obedience in the same direction. You know, it's a direction that we go. We will stumble and fail, but we will repent and get off and keep moving in that direction. Always affirming the rightness of His law and His ways. Always repenting of what is wrong and moving in the right direction. But we can do that. Because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin in His own body on the cross. And so the call of Scripture then is always, put your faith and your trust in Jesus, who is the one who saves us. He lives the life that we fail to live. He lives the law completely and wholly. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Lives the life we fail to live. And He dies on the cross to pay the penalty of our failure to keep the law. If you've not known this one who saves us from ourselves and our own weakness and sin. Would you put your trust and your faith in Christ today? He wants you to be happy. He wants to bring you into the path of true joy. And it begins by trusting Him with your life and your heart. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank You that You have loved us so well. That You have created us in Your own image and You have created us to know You and to love You and to be happy in that knowledge. To find the joy of being in sync with our Creator. Of living in the way that You have ordained. According to Your heart and mind and character. Father, come near and recapture us with this image of one who delights himself in Your law, in Your Word, in Your ways and sinks deep roots into knowing it and loving it and living it. And may our pursuit of this drive us to know and love Jesus all the more as a Savior who saves us from our weakness. Oh, Father, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.